This is a production of NDMU Radio Network. Martha Moore Ballard lived in relative obscurity until historian Laurel Thatcher Ulrich discovered her diary in an archive almost 200 years after her death. I'm your host, Molly Wolanski, and you are listening to That's What She Said, the weekly podcast about women's history. This week, I'll be looking at the life of Martha Moore Ballard and the overarching importance of primary sources in history. Martha Moore was born in Oxford, Massachusetts in 1735. She married Ephraim Ballard in 1754 and subsequently gave birth to nine children over the course of the next 25 years. Three of the nine children did not survive to adulthood and all died in 1769 due to disease. In 1785, she started keeping a diary, which is one of her most important contributions to history. Martha was a community midwife, meaning that she helped local women in the town of Hallowell, Maine, give birth. Her records show that she assisted with over 800 births from 1785 until her death in 1812. Her diary therefore acts as a record book for the lives of the small frontier community. No matter the weather or time of day, Martha would go aid somebody in birth. Payment for her assistance was made to her in various items from money and products needed for survival. Her diary acted as a record book for payments and services, also showing the economic life of the community. Martha's diary served as a very important key in understanding local history and the role of women in a period where women are mostly forgotten, except for the few famous women like Peggy Shippen and Abigail Adams. Besides acting as a ledger for her midwifery, it also acts as a guide for how she lived her life and what her household did in a day, from gardening and housework to the important task of weaving, because Martha was one of the few women in her community who had a loom, which meant that other women had to come to her to weave. Weaving linen was a very important task to be completed because the women were in charge of the textile process, which also leads to the erasure of fiber arts as a fine art, because it's seen as women's work and therefore not a major art form, which is not true because the works are beautiful and should be seen as fine art. Within the diary, there's a story of a rape trial of Rebecca Foster, a minister's wife, and a local judge. Martha was friends with Foster and had to testify in the trial. The entry in her diary about this trial is the most detailed entry in her diary. When visiting the other women in her entries, she just stated, visited, and then the person's name. Within these vague entries, who knows how many scandals and stories have been lost to time purely because nobody wrote them down. This really shows the contrast between today's society and focus on social media with the past. Today we record our entire lives on social media that will exist in digital archives for what seems like forever. Hundreds of years from now, historians could pour through our Facebook and Twitter posts to understand and learn what everyday life was like in our society, much like historians today look at the diaries from the past to glean knowledge about those eras. Primary sources are some of the most important materials for a historian because they provide eyewitness accounts to events and the thoughts and perspectives that go with them in most cases. This is evident in the Foster case because without Martha's records, we would only have the winning side of the case and not the thoughts and foster side of the story. This is a problem in history because it makes all stories one-sided when that is not the case. History is composed of multiple perspectives and there's always another side to the story. 
Primary sources help tell the multiple sides of the story and even provide base details because primary sources can be almost anything from census and other recorded data to art and artifacts. Census data is very important to the base of history and understanding the composition of a population and also the movement and growth of a region over a period of time when looking at multiple censuses. Court records are also a good source of data and show the legal and judiciary values of a period. These are official documents and often do not tell much of a story besides the raw data or events of the legal case. And even then, the court records will emphasize who won over the whole story. Primary sources are also diaries and letters and any correspondence between individuals and text and tweets in this context could be considered primary sources. On another side of the definition of primary sources, we have material artifacts and art. These are good pictorial and tactile remains that show more deeply the values and consumer culture of the society. By analyzing a painting, it's, er, it's possible to learn what the fashion of an era was, but also how people styled themselves in general, from cosmetics to hair and accessories. And from there, it's possible to understand the values of the society and how they viewed different things like class and wealth, and even how women's bodies were perceived as well. Material primary sources also include objects used in everyday life and archaeological remains because through scientific analysis, it is sometimes possible to learn details down to the diet and life of a person just from the remains. They also show the values of the society by showing what was thrown away and also what people were buried with, which shows the, uh, mater what material objects were valued by the community. Primary sources bring a lot of context with them and really help historians understand, and along with also regular people understand, the past and the values of the past. They can be anything that shows a glimpse into the past made within a time frame relevant to that which are they are trying to describe. With anything in history, primary sources included comes the concept of bias. Bias is the opinions or values of an individual affecting the historic record or interpretation of an event. Biases can be something as small as race and gender influencing a discussion of an issue to bigger things like you really love a certain figure in history and you don't want to show their negative sides and so you only show the positive sides or you erase somebody from the story because you do not like what they represent. And bias is just a major issue and part of any good historic research is looking at what the bias is in something and trying to figure out how to eliminate it and become unbiased so that people get the whole story and they can make their own decisions on how they view events. And without this, you just get what is basically how American history and history is taught in the American school system, which is often whitewashed and very, very basic and glorifies the West and colonialism and all of those issues, which are very, very important and often looked over in anything but upper level history courses. Because as you learn more and more about an event or concept in history, you can start to weed out different opinions and try to make sense of it on your own. And that is truly what historic research is about. And one of the ways you can do this is by not looking at secondary sources like somebody else's interpretations of an event and primary sources are analyzed within secondary sources, but 
go back to the primary sources with a background in your topic and look at them and how they show something different. Primary sources are really important and part of any historic research. So like, look at them. And don't underestimate something. And when you are reading a historic a history textbook or something, don't skip over the block quotes because those are primary sources. And they can really tell you more about even the language of a period because even from the 1700s to today, language has changed. And this is very evident in Martha Ballard's diary because she did not have much of a formal education. And so her spelling is very different than how words are spelled today. One example of this is how she spelled the word linen in her passages. Today, linen is spelled L-I-N-E-N, but she spelled it, in one spot at least, L-I-N-N-I-N. So linen, exactly how it is pronounced phonetically. So that just shows education levels and like what the society valued, because for most of history, education of females wasn't valued. And so you can see that by looking at the writing and what they produced. And so overall, history and primary sources go hand in hand and can really help understand and show what life was like because without Martha Ballard's diary, we wouldn't have a record of this small town in Maine and what life was like there and other parts of life because we'd only have like the raw census data and not what goes along with that, even through these vague, brief diary entries. Thank you for listening. This episode was about Martha Ballard. And if you would like to learn more about Martha Ballard, I would highly recommend checking out the book A Midwife's Tale by Laurel Thatcher Ulrich. And if you don't feel like reading the book, there's also a PBS documentary by the same name that follows the book and features Ulrich talking about Martha Ballard. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you go back after listening to this episode and listen to my other episodes, and even check us out on Facebook. You were listening to That's What She Said on NDMU Radio.